psychotic geeks obsessed with every little detail. It'll never get on the air. Well, I think it's good for a show to go off the air before it becomes stale and repetitive. I've just been informed that we are going off the air. Off air with Emily and Catra. You're a Libra. Yeah, I am. I don't think we're compatible. That's totally what I was looking at. <laughs> I'm just completely involved in your Do it. life. Are you okay? Mm. Cancer needs emotional connection where Libras need physical connection. You think that's true? Yeah. Um. So, like, I mean, we're not as close. I might just put my head up. Oh. As, like, me and Amelia, obviously. Right. But, um... She is super touchy, and you're not as touchy, but you do some things that she does, like you get really close to my face with your face. (laughs) So I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true, and I think we balance each other out. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I need emotional attention. Mm Mm-hmm. And he needs physical attention, but not not as much. So I think, like, Mm -hmm. his need, yeah. Yeah? I think that's 100% true. Mm -hmm. All right. It always freaks me out with these little oranges mm-hmm. like when they're kind of squishy because there was those one are the time, good ones there was a one time i had a squishy one and i opened it and it was black inside Blah. so i'm always like real freaked out about it is it an easy peel one yeah yeah i love those yeah i do too it was real great i was but yeah that grossed me the freak out yeah i don't like that my green coat that i have out there mm-hmm. when i got it out for the season i reached in my pocket and there was like a deranged orange it was all hard and like yes. shriveled. It looked like one of those pieces of plastic fruit that you put on the table. It's mm. exact. I was like, "Oh God, how long has that been in there?" Obviously, since last like winter. <laughs> no, big old orange. Yeah, orange, orange. Before we get started, I printed out another story that just happened. Okay, okay, and it's local from oh Seymour. Seymour. Oh yes, yes. Did yeah. you hear it? Yeah. Did you hear about it? Yeah. Okay. Seymour woman Wait. shot. Hi. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm Emily. I'm Patra. And this is Off Air with Emily and Patra. It is. Hi. Hey. Okay, so get into this. Okay, so I got I printed the story this morning because I just saw it. Like, you know, when did it happen? Yesterday? I don't know. A Seymour woman shot her grandson, then called 911 to report it before turning the gun on herself. Ugh. Can you believe that? No. Seymour in the backyard of her house. Okay. Seymour police detective CJ Foster said... It's a tough situation to be in when you are on the other side of receiving this call. So the dispatcher says 911 and Wanda, I'm not going to say her last name. I don't know. Because I don't, she was 68 years old from Seymour, Indiana, which is just like, what, 15 minutes from here? Yeah. Yeah, not not far. I actually head really close to Seymour to pick my son up every day. Uh. So, yeah, anyway, I know. Um, She gave her, she said, yes, this is Wanda blank. She gave her address and confirmed, you know, her everything. She said, there's been an accident. Oh, actually not an accident. There's been a murder. So I need you to come immediately. And then she shot herself. That's, oh. Yeah. um, Like literally, oh, chills right now. Oh, I mean, and then uh, the neighbor thought, you know, like heard the whole thing and said it sounded like a really loud boom. She said that um, Wanda really loved her grandson, that, quote, she was a very, very good neighbor, would do anything she could to help me out or if I needed it, and I would do the same for her. Um, When the police arrived, Wanda was dead. Medics rushed her grandson to a Louisville hospital who died later that day. Um, According to the neighbor, for unknown reasons, 
Wanda had been taking care of her grandson since he was a child. And she absolutely adored her grandson. She says, I just, I'm having trouble imagining this. Yeah. I need to know what happened. Was she, I mean, she's like, no, actually it's a murder. So she like intended to kill this person. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, she thought it was somebody else or an accidental intruder or she was just like, there's an accident. No, actually I murdered him. Oh. And then she killed herself. She had to have had a. On the phone. Break. Yeah. Like something happened. Something happened. Like maybe the grandson was awful to her this whole time and it was undercover or maybe she just lost it. Yeah. Maybe nothing (gasps) bad happened. It was just one of those things. She was 68. So not like. Yeah. And not an age where you would think like she couldn't focus or. Yeah. yeah. And the grandson's in high school, was in high school. So it's not like he was like young. Right. But he was young enough that he didn't need to. uh, be murdered. Right. I can't mm. believe that. So I need to know more about that. I'm going to keep keep an eye on that one. Yeah, we'll keep you updated too. Yeah, it was very quick, but I just needed to talk. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, seriously. Okay, I just want to say mm-hmm. I have a quick shout out. Shout I didn't pull it up because I just thought about it when we introduced <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> um, okay. First off, you remember the number that we were at yesterday on Facebook that I told you? And I was like, oh, my gosh, we're doing stuff. Like 125? Yeah. Okay. We're at 238 likes on Facebook. What? And I just want to say thank you to every single person who liked that page because, oh, my Yay! gosh. Thank you guys so much. I'm, like, so, like, gritting ear to ear. And every time I open my notifications, it's like, so-and-so liked Off Air with Emily and Patrick. And I'm like, hey! oh, my gosh. Yay. And I also want to say, uh, give a specific shout out mm-hmm. to. It's loading. Tell me. <laughs> just for, I'm just doing it for suspense. Mm. <laughs> it's lo- it loaded like 12 minutes ago. Yeah. Uh, to Rachel, uh, she screenshotted us and posted on her Instagram and said, "Quote: When you're already addicted to true crime, and then discover a local podcast at Off Air with EP." Yay! Oh, and I love that. I love it so much. And it's great. So thank you, Rachel. Thank you, everybody who's liking our stuff. We and love it. It makes me so happy. It makes me happy. <laughs> this Okay, so, I mean, not a confession because it's kind of obvious. This is, like, the best thing I do all week. Oh, yeah, seriously. Like, I've, I've had kind of, like, a, a rough couple of days here dealing with personal life. And mm-hmm. I was just like, hang in there, baby. You got this. (laughs) We had to push it back a couple of hours to record today. And I was like, nope. Maybe that's why today's gone so slow. It's because I've been like. Because it has gone slow. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. But. Okay. So, yeah. I'm really appreciating every single person out there. And for anyone who encourages others to like, we appreciate you too. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all are just great. We love it. Okay. So you get to go first this week, right? Because I went first last week. Did you go first last week? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I did. I think you did. I don't know. I didn't. I only listened to our bullshit beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) Where I talk about home decor for 15 minutes straight. Oh, yeah. That was a good one. And I. Actually, when I was listening to your laundry talk, I was picturing your laundry room, and I was like, man, I wonder how much laundry she's done. So much laundry. Yeah. Except it piles up so fast. I washed my laundry on set on Sunday. It's still sitting in a basket right inside my bedroom door with a pile of hangers on top of it, and I just keep reaching in and pulling out wrinkled jeans to wear. There you go. It's Jimmy Page's birthday, so wrinkled Led Zeppelin shirt. It's fine. Yep. Anyway. 
Are we uh, jumping? Oh, hi. hi. Are we jumping right in? We discussed stuff that we had to cut out before we started talking, so we yeah. can we can jump right in. Do we want to recap anything or talk uh, about anything? Or that was the biggest thing I want to talk about was saying hello to all of our new Facebook friends. Hi. We really like it. Yeah. Well, we like how much you like us. Yeah. Let me put my Tupperware lid back on. Mm. Oh, that made a real cool noise. Yeah. Do you like that? Yeah, I, did. I want. I, I, I like, wanted it. Okay. My cheap-ass Rubbermaid. Cheap-ass Rubbermaid. I, I don't have any updates to tell you, I feel like. Did I talk about Amelia's allergic to ice cream? My poor, sweet 16-year-old no, daughter. No, I because think, I think in the last episode, we just talked about her going, going to the appointment. to the allergist. Yes, I wasn't sure what all she was going to do. And it turns out she is allergic to a protein and frozen milk only. And <laughs> she can't have, like, frappuccinos. Um, she can't have... A milkshake, and she can't really have, like, and it's, like, fresh, like, actual whole milk. So, if it's, like, really janky stuff, then she can have it. Like, if it's, like, one of those, like, it's kind of milk cream, ice cream deals, then she can eat that, no problem. But if it's good, no. But if it's good. (laughs) Allergic to the good ice cream. If it's good, (laughs) if it's good, then no, she can't have it. You can have that frozen dairy product, actually, in the party pail, but that's it. So huh. I'll just eat her portion of ice cream for the rest of her life to there save her. I am a good mother. Yes, you are. There we go. That's it. That was my only update. Um, I even had blood work done at the doctor yesterday, and they couldn't get any blood out of his sweet little veins, and we had to take him back later, and they had to use a baby one. And my son, he's 12, but he's like 5'6 and like a giant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he just sat there, like, all tough in his little sixth-grade taco cat spelled backwards as taco cat T-shirt. Oh, my god! And got his blood drawn. And right when they stuck the needle in, he just closed his little eyes. And I was like, oh, I wish I could snap your freaking head off and just oh. keep it in my purse forever. Oh, it was so cute. So sweet. That's all. That's cute. Yeah. Um, I do have an update for you. I don't think it was from last episode. It was from the one up before about Tell Fallout. Me. Oh, Yeah. They said it sucks. That's what I've heard. I have heard one person with a positive, quote unquote, positive review, and it was, it's not bad. Oh, yeah. So I'll just keep playing Fallout 4 yeah. forever. Yeah, because I, I die. I asked Christopher about it that night. I actually remembered mm. to ask him that night, and he's like, he's like, yeah, no, it sucks. I said, does Jake play it? And he goes, uh, I think he did. And I was like, what did he say? And he goes, he's the one that told me it sucked. <laughs> And I was like, Dang. oh, okay. All right. So. So no to Fallout 76. Yeah. Yes to Fallout 4, though. And absolutely yes to Sims. Abs- How is Sensational coming? <laughs> I haven't started it. because. Well, in my head, it's going great. <laughs> <laughs> I did kill that guy. Did you? Yeah. Good. I stuck him in a room. Amelia took up, because we listened to the part where you were talking about having them woohoo, mm-hmm. and she's like, I'm just going to use that from now on. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was oh. great. Um, I think that's the only updates. All right. Well, we weren't very exciting this last week, I guess. No, because we didn't have Our a holiday. Our holidays are over. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're done. We're done with that. I don't even remember. Oh, I went to Ikea. Oh, did you get weekend. something fun? A dresser. Oh, yeah. Because I talked about getting rid of my makeup table. <gasps> I put I that black dress. lipstick on, by the way. Oh, yes. I had already worked out, so my makeup was, like, dripping off of my eyes. Um, 
but I still like slapped that You're black like, yes. lipstick on and was like, yes, goth queen. <laughs> I have only one. I only wore it one time because I wore it for Halloween last year. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was a cat and did my lips and my nose and my whiskers in it. So it was great. I did find a picture of me from high school. I don't have black lipstick on, unfortunately. I'm wearing red, but everything else is just what you oh, imagine. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> look at that lip ring. Look at oh that. Oh my god! This does not even look like you. Lip ring. Look. Hold on. Let me make those dead eyes. Okay, with the dead eyes. Yeah. It does. <laughs> oh. Oh my god! Look at is my you eyebrow are the pierced there ever. I'm wearing a black and white camouflage. What eyebrow did you have pierced? This side. Then you can't see no. it because your hair's over. Oh my! It. <laughs> How dare you say that? I oh, fucking love it. Do you love I it? I love it so much. I just look so full of shit. Oh I my god! Be your best friend. I mean, I would have been your best friend. Oh in my second. gosh! I love in it so much. A second. Oh, yeah. That so was, there there you go. That's that it. Great. That's our update. You can I'll send you that picture. Okay. <laughs> you can keep it. Crack open a crispy boy. Yep. Yes, ma'am. <clears throat> All right. Ooh, okay, so if he doesn't get it, here's what we do. We spend his pizza money. We we, we get, get a pizza. We get a pizza beer and beer and Snapchat. Oh my God. Yeah. And we can put like fake beards on our faces and just show a picture and then tag him and be like, you missed out. Is that terrible? <laughs> I feel just like for fun. Probably shouldn't tag him. <laughs> just for fun. It would be fun. I agree. Yes. That would be amazing okay. to do. That would be fun. However. But also, we, you know, as stated previously, I'd like to keep my job. <laughs> I like when you make me laugh in that awful, like, <laughs> Sesame Street laugh. Like, if you, <laughs> by if okay. I had a string, that laugh would come out when you pulled it. You know it. <laughs> You're right. God. My favorite, one of my favorite memories I have with my mom, <clears throat> for my 18th birthday, I wanted to go to Chicago with her. Mm-hmm. So we went to Chicago. It was, like, the summer after or whatever, but that's fine. Um, and cause Chicago's cold in October. Yeah. Screw so that. we went to Chicago and we went and like, we walked around, we mm-hmm. went to Navy pier, we went downtown, all blah, 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 blah. And we went in to the cheesecake factory mm-hmm. and had lunch. And I, <laughs> I do this thing and I do it more often than not, but I'll have like a heebie jeebie and I'll sneeze or a heebie jeebie and I'll cough or like. Something something weird happens. And uh, so I heebie-jeebied and I sneezed. And I had my legs crossed, so I kicked my mom. And she goes, <laughs> It was just like, just so loud, so obnoxious. And this group of like corporate looking people, yeah. they were all in like their business attire, yeah. was sitting in one of like little alcove things. And they all looked over at her and we were... Dying, <laughs> laughing so hard. It was so Oh, my God. Funny. I love that. <laughs> I love it so much. And she's the same way. Like, if she gets laughing really hard, she, like, laughs like a goose. And it's the greatest <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> oh, oh so man. fun. Mm. All right. Let's talk about murder. Let's. Okay. Dennis Rader. Oh. 
I know. I just, I'm going to pull up a picture of him that I can stare at while we do this because he is so gross. I'm so excited. I wanted to do this one eventually, so I'm glad you're doing it. Ooh, really? Yeah. I hope I do an okay job for you. You'll do great. Okay. Let me find like a good, like him in the courtroom picture because you know that's what I like. I like them all in their jumpsuit with their chains on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Gets me worked up. I'm watching. (laughs) While you're looking that up, I'm watching The Staircase on Netflix. Have I seen that? It's about uh, Michael Peterson pushing his wife down the stairs. Oh, I have Allegedly. Not. And it's it's the, uh, like, there's a, it's it's good. I'm writing it it's, down. And it's, like, one of those things. It's a big case mm-hmm. in the true crime community. Mm-hmm. Per last episode, we obviously said that we'd. <laughs> we claim to know a lot more than we do. Right. We're but just pretending. It's one of those things. It's like a documentary through his trial process and all this stuff and like the lawyers Ooh. and meeting and all that stuff. But this entire time, like I kind of had an opinion going in of what I thought, whether or not he was guilty or innocent. Mm-hmm. And this entire time, I'm only like three and a half, almost four episodes, maybe four episodes in. Mm-hmm. And I have changed my mind. 12 different times. Really? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I love that. Oh, he's guilty. Oh, no, he can't be. Oh, my gosh, he's guilty. And it's like, all the entire time. And I just don't know. Oof. And it's also one of those ones that, like, I can't watch the entire, like, any other Netflix series. I can sit there and watch it and watch it and watch it. Like, I can watch maybe, like, maybe three quarters of an episode. And then I'm like, you need a break? Yeah. Ooh, I love that. Okay. And FYI, it shows crime scene pictures, which are kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal, but. I get that. You kind of have to be. Yeah. You just, as long as you expect it. Right. I was kind of surprised the first time and I was like, but I like looking at crime scene photos, so I was okay with it. (laughs) But if you don't (laughs) like crime scene photos. That reminds me. I know we're never going to talk about murder. Um, This is murder related. Murder adjacent. Yeah. Um, my friend who actually, her name's Heather, and she. Hi, Heather. Hi. She sent a message yesterday saying that she finally got around to checking us out because she's a big podcast person. And she loved us. Oh, good. And she was like, oh, my gosh, you guys are really good. And All I was just like, shout out. Oh, thank you. So I love that. Anyway, she posted this thing that says, things I've learned from Dateline. If you have time stamped VHS footage of yourself blowing out birthday candles, you'll eventually be abducted. Uh, you'll never be murdered if you have more than three pictures of yourself if you have a smile that quote unquote lights up a room you'll eventually wind up covered in blood there are no loose knit communities in the midwest you can't be murdered in your home if you own furniture more recent than 1983 (laughs) Uh, the best way to cope with your loved one's murder is by staring at a boat marina that is totally true Dateline I love that Yeah. Um, people only die on beige carpet Only perfect marriages end in strangulation. (laughs) Life insurance is always a bad idea. And if someone ever says never in a million years, it means next April. (laughs) 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 Anyway, which I loved. I think my favorite was the birthday candles thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I do love that video footage that they always show Mm -hmm. from the 80s with the perm. Yep. Yeah, your mom's in the background smoking. Yep. Yep. Mom jeans on. Virginia Slims. Yep. Yep. Okay. (laughs) Dennis Rader (laughs) was born on March 9th, 1945 in Pittsburgh, Kansas, and grew up in Wichita. The oldest of four sons, he enjoyed a seemingly normal childhood, reportedly masking such disturbing behavior as hanging stray animals. He was just a little kid. 
Dennis dropped out of college and joined the U.S. Air Force in the mid-1960s. After returning to Wichita, he married his wife, Paula, in 1971 and worked for an outdoor supply company for about a year. In 1974, he began a lengthy stint as an employee of ADT Security Services. Raider, sorry, they go, it goes back and forth with whatever. So Dennis was an attentive husband. He and his wife had a son in 1975 and a a daughter in 1978. The next year, he graduated from Wichita State University with a degree in administration of justice. Still, oh no, not that. Anyway, all right. He is also known as the BTK killer. Fine, torture, kill. That's my whole life. Anyway, on January 15th, (laughs) 1974... That's my whole life. Uh, oh, Jesus. Okay, we're just going to get right into what he's been up to. <clears throat> On January 15th, 1974, so the year before he had his first child, he strangled to death four members of the Otero family in their Wichita home. Parents, Joseph and Julie, and two of their children, Josephine and Joseph Jr. I don't want to talk ill of the dead, but gross to name your kids that. Yeah. Joseph, I'm going to name one Josephine Jr. and the other, or the, you know what I mean? Like, you yeah. can't just, I'm like, if I, I was going to say if I had a son and a daughter, but I do, I didn't name them Patra Jr. and what's Patrick. Yeah. Yeah, that's stupid. Anyway. Thank you for not doing that. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> everybody. <laughs> okay. Raider broke into the home of the Otero family between 7 and 7.30 a.m. Raider had a well-figured out plan and got together his hit kit, which is going to come up. He's a big person with his hit kit, which consisted of guns, cords, knives, and multiple tools for breaking and entering. He cut the phone lines and broke into the house. So that's kind of like his M.O. He has a kit. He's got his, like, gear that he's going to do. He cuts the phone lines. He breaks in somehow. Mm -hmm. He was expecting to see the wife and her two kids. But to his surprise, the husband, Joseph, 38, was also home. Quickly, he took out a gun and told the family that he was a wanted criminal. He told them that he needed food, money, and a car. He forced the family into the bedroom where he tied their hands and feet together. He strangled Mrs. Otero until she passed out, assuming she was dead. He then moved to Mr. Otero and put a plastic bag over his head and tied it with a cord. He also did the same for Joseph Jr. Joseph was nine. He was the younger one. He then took the daughter, Josephine, 11, to the basement and hung her by a pipe. In his confession, Raider stated that once he hung the girl, he uh, fulfilled his sexual fantasies, leaving semen by the crime scene. So he was Ugh. he was the guy who, he didn't, like, rape them. He took care of himself yeah. after, whatever. Yeah. Did you like how I said that? Yeah. Um, he tidied up the house and took some souvenirs like Mr. Otero's watch and radio, and then he went home. Later that day, 15-year-old Charlie Otero coming back from school, and he um, kind of has to, like, gather his younger brother and sister. So there's, like, five kids. Um, he brought Danny and his sister Carmen. They were 14 and 13, home with him. He heard them yell for him to come to the bedroom. They thought their parents were playing a joke on them with Mm -hmm. this elaborate scene, but they discovered that their family had been murdered. So 13, 14, and 15-year-olds, you get home from school, and that's (sighs) what you walk into. Yeah, yeah. So you've, like, left for school for the day, and you come home, and you find all that. That's terrible. Yeah. It was very upsetting. I listened to, like, kind of an extensive 
uh, retelling of that one yesterday, and I hated it, and I mm. can't. Anyway. A few months later, April 4th, 1974. So, yeah, that's not much. He didn't. That's, like, no time. Catherine Bright was murdered by Raider, who had seen her before entering her home and considered her as one of his projects. So you're just, like, living your life. You go to your house. You let yourself in, and somebody sees you, and he's like, oh, I'm going to kill her. Yeah. Um, No, thank you. Right? Pass. Um, That day, he broke into her home from the porch door and hid in the bedroom. Around 2 p.m. when she got home with her brother, Kevin, 19, um, Dennis was not expecting him. Anyway, he came rushing out of the room with the gun pointed straight at them. He told them the same story, that he was a wanted criminal and needed a car, food, and money because he was on his way to New York. He forced the two into the bedroom and ordered Kevin to tie his sister's hands and feet. He then took Kevin into the other room and tried to tie him up as well, but was not successful. Kevin got into a fight with him, Mm -hmm. getting very close to taking the gun from him, but Dennis was able to get a good hold on the gun and shot Kevin in the head twice. After that, he went back to Catherine to finish his uh, project. Catherine also put up a big fight against Raider. I love them. Yeah. I love them fighting him. Fight with all your might. Exactly. As he tried to strangle her, he realized that strangling her was not going to work, so he started stabbing her in the abdomen multiple times. Ugh. So, I mean, I know this seems, like, small. You know, they, they got shot and stabbed, but he didn't get what he wanted. Right. You know what I mean? He wanted to strangle them. Right. That's what he wants. While that was happening, Kevin was able to escape. He ran a few blocks to his car and drove off in search of help. Sadly, even after multiple emergency surgeries and blood transfusions, Catherine died at the age of 21. But Kevin... Uh, who was in critical condition, did survive, and later described Dennis Rader as an average-sized guy, bushy mustache, psychotic eyes. I totally Ooh. feel that. Ooh. I know. <clears throat> in, ni- in October 1974, so 74 was a big year, mm-hmm. uh, Dennis placed a letter in a public library book in which he took responsibility for killing the Oteros, The letter ended up with the local newspaper, and the poorly written note gave authorities some idea of who they were dealing with. Raider wrote, It's hard to control myself. You probably call me psychotic with sexual perversion hang-up. Yeah. He warned that he would strike again, noting the code words for me will be bind them, torture them, kill them, BTK. The initial stuck and the murderer... Murderer came to be known by variations of the BTK killer or just BTK, which... If I ever see, like, was it, what, 2000, mid-2000s that this all came about, I think? Well, we'll get to that. Um, I remember definitely if I would see, like, a creepy dude, I'd be like, it's BTK. <laughs> all the time. All the time. Just any, and it wasn't even, like, a creepy dude. Just, like, an average. Yeah, just, like, a guy. Average man <laughs> that might have done something a little off. I'm like, okay, BTK, calm down. Anyway. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> okay. After three years of silence, Raider decided to come out again in March of 1977. He decided, um, okay, I'm sorry. He spotted his soon-to-be victim in a neighborhood that he was trolling through. That day, he was supposed to go after a woman named Cheryl, whom he had met at a bar, but she wasn't home. He decided to go down Hydraulic Street in Wichita, I guess, and came in contact with a five-year-old boy named Steve Relford. Dennis pulled out a picture of his own wife and son and asked if he, if the little boy had seen them. The boy said no and went home. Later, Dennis knocked on the door of the little boy's house, posed as a detective, which let him get inside the house with no problem. Um, Including Steve, the little five-year-old, there were three children in the house. 
Dennis turned off the TV and turned down the blinds. The mother, Shirley, came out of one of the rooms startled. At gunpoint, he ordered the children to go into the bathroom and lock them inside. He told Shirley that he had planned on having his way with her. Somehow he was able to lead her to believe that it wasn't rape and calmed her down by giving her a glass of water and smoked a cigarette with her. So just like manipulation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're insanely scared. (sighs) While the children were screaming in the bathroom, Raider tied their mother up and strangled her to death by putting a cord around her neck. He left semen on her panties, which were found next to her body. In later years during his confession, Raider stated that the telephone rang, causing him to leave early, which left the children in the bathroom still screaming for their mother. So they probably would have taken care of the children as well, but the phone rang. Yeah, I said that was in March, right? Yeah, March. So Shirley was 24, and she left behind her three kids and a husband. Oh, my Lanta. I know. December of 1977, Raider became obsessed with stalking 25-year-old Nancy Fox. On December 8th, he cut the phone line and then broke into her duplex from the back door. He waited in her home for her to get back from her job at a jewelry store. That's the scariest thing to me. Just going home thinking, oh, finally, you know, like after you've had a long day and you have a long drive and you finally get to walk in that fucking door and you shut it behind you and you're like, I'm done. Did it. The day is done. And then someone is there. Yeah. That's horrifying. Anyway. Um, he waited in her home for her to get back from her job at a jewelry store. Since she lived alone, he had no trouble surprising her in the kitchen at gunpoint. I would be fucking shocked. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, he told her that he had a sexual issue and that in order to get rid of that issue, he had to tie her up and rape her. After being allowed to partly disrobe herself in the bathroom, he ordered her to go into the bedroom. He tied her up and undressed himself and then he strangled her. As he strangled her, he confessed to her that he was who he really was, that he was BTK and what he had done. Her body was found later with semen on the nightgown that was next to her. So he shared all this info like once he was caught because he wanted to share it. I mean, he's pumped about it. The following day on his way to work for the ADT alarm company, he called the local police department and said, yes, you will find a homicide at, and gave the address, Nancy Fox, and then left the receiver dangling. The police rushed to the house and found Nancy's body strangled to death. The police tried to replay the recording of his voice many times, but never found a match. Oh. Yeah. You have his voice. Uh, like and his re- semen. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like your voice is more important than your semen. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. But I mean, both of it together. Ew, stop. You got a whole person. That's all it takes. <laughs> <laughs> Shortly afterward, in January 1978, so I guess he took a little, like a tiny little break. No, no, he didn't. Uh, Raider sent a poem to a local newspaper about the Shirley. Her name is Shirley Vian, I think. I don't know. I don't remember her Um, last name. Yeah. Killing. Several weeks later, he sent a letter to a local television station. A poem written with a a child's printing set on an index card arrives at the Wichita Eagle Beacon. So he's like... Putting his, it's like you're sending your info out to multiple media sources. Yeah. The poem was patterned after Curly Locks, a nursery rhyme. I don't know it. Um, but it was like Shirley Locks instead of Curly Locks because her uh, name was Shirley. Refers to that homicide stating that he was responsible for killing Shirley, Fox, and another unknown victim. He also made allusions to several other notorious killers, including Ted Bundy and... Um, 
our super hot David Berkowitz, also known as the Son of Sam. <laughs> in April 1979, Dennis waited in an elderly woman's home, but left before she returned. He sent her a letter to let her know that BTK had been there. In an effort to catch him, the authorities released the 1977 recording of his phone call to police, hoping that someone might recognize the voice. Yeah. But no. But could you imagine being that lady? You get that letter like, oh, I was there to kill you, but you didn't come home. So I would never want to go home. Mm -mm. In 1985, it had been many years since his last murder. He was involved in his church. And once his son became old enough, um, Dennis became a Boy Scout leader. He had two kids, Brian and Carrie. Um, In 1985, Dennis was 40 years old and planning on killing again. So his next victim, 53-year-old Maureen Hedge. She was a widow and described as a kind and gentle woman. Maureen Hedge and Raider lived on the same block for over 30 years. In April, on April 27th, 1985. I know. Oh my God. In the middle of a Boy Scout, Raider was in the middle of a Boy Scout meeting when he stated that he had a headache and needed to leave to get medicine. He left, walked to his car that was near a bowling alley. He went inside and bought a beer. He switched the beer in his mouth and then spit it out, purposely spilling some on his clothing, giving onlookers the illusion that he had been drinking. He called a cab pretending to be drunk and told the driver to take him to Park City, which is where they lived. Once he got to Hedge's home, he saw her car and assumed she was home. He cut the phone line. He had his kit with him. He quietly opened the back door to sneak in. He realized no one was home and waited in her bedroom until he saw a car pull in the driveway. Maureen and another man walked into the house. Dennis waited in the bedroom closet until 1 a.m. so that the man was gone and Maureen had gone to sleep. God, can you imagine? You're just existing in your home and he's there like in the closet just while you're doing your shit. Um, He came out of hiding, turned on the bathroom light, and jumped on top of her, choking her to death. She was asleep. Once she had died, he dragged her body outside into the trunk of her car. He drove to the church that he went to regularly And because he was a trusted member of the church, he had keys to the building. Of course. Yeah. He put black plastic over the windows so no one could look inside. Then he dragged her body to the basement of the church. He photographed the body in multiple different poses before putting her body back in the trunk of the car and taking off. He, He dumped the body in a ditch along a dirt road not far from their home in Park City. That's... That's a creepy one. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't... He's got, like, a standard. He strangles you and beats Mm -hmm. it afterwards or whatever. But he's not, he's just, like, an equal opportunity strangler here. He's he's after whoever. The following year, he killed Vicki Weggerly in her home, um, September of 86. She was 28 at the time and a mother of two. She'd caught Raider's eye because... He would walk by her house during the day and listen to her play the piano. He thought this murder out carefully, calling it his PJ project. PJ project. By 10 a.m. on September 16th, Raider dressed up as a telephone repairman and knocked on, we're going to go with her first name, Vicky's door. She let him into her home thinking that he was going to fix the phone line. He cut the line and told her that he was going to tie her up. At gunpoint, he forced her into the bedroom and tied her up, but she gave him a fight, causing cuts and scratches. I love these women fighting back. And to be honest, he's just like a normal-looking dude. I would beat the shit out of him. Mm -hmm. He got a rope and stopped her fighting by choking her to death. After that, he took photos of the body in different positions. 
then left stealing her car. Soon after that, Bill, her husband, said that he saw his own car going the opposite direction of the house but could not identify the driver. When he arrived home, he saw his two-year-old son by himself in the living room. He searched the house for his wife and found her on the floor behind the bed in their bedroom. Um, Vicky was rushed to the hospital but was pronounced dead a few hours later. That would be so sad. It would be. And, like, so... The two-year-old was there. So, like... A horror movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're driving. I can just like picture it like you're driving in this old 80s car, driving right? along, and then you're like, like slow-mo turn to look at the person who's driving your car that's headed the same the opposite direction. And then you're like, that's my car, but that's not my wife. What is happening? Yeah, you're slow like, motion turn. And then you get home and your two-year-old baby is just chilling. Yeah. That's it. That's the I just can't. No, thank you. Um Okay, Raiders' final known victim, Dolores Davis, was taken from her home on January 19th, 1991. So that was a big chunk. He got super busy. Yeah. After setting up camp for a scouting event, he parked his car near his home at the Baptist church or near home at a Baptist church. He had a key to the church. We already said that. Through, oh, well, this one is through his scouting involvement. So this is a different church. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, he's very... Anyway, <sighs> inside the church, he changed into dark clothes and assembled his hit kit of tape and cords. He walked nearly two miles across a field and a cemetery on a very cold night to get to Dee's secluded residence home. He had qualms about entering the place he had cased so many times before, but finally threw a concrete block through the plate glass patio door to enter. I mean, that's not, he wasn't sneaking in. That wasn't subtle at all. No. Um, <laughs> Thinking a car had hit her house, Dee came running out of her bedroom. Dennis handcuffed her, told her he was on the run, needed food, and keys to her car. Dee begged, I've got kids, don't hurt me, don't hurt me. He talked with her until she calmed down while he pretended to be gathering food and other necessities. He checked the location of her car, acting as if he was about to leave. Raider removed her handcuffs, tied her up, and strangled her with her pantyhose. Ugh. He said the two or three minutes it took for her to die fueled his fantasies for years. He put her blanket around her, drug her to her car, threw her in the trunk, and dumped her body under a county bridge. Raider returned to put a mask on her the following day and pretty her up before taking her pictures. What? Using a remote cord to take his own picture, he posed wearing lingerie he stole from her after killing her. The BTK task force found a container in a cabinet with a picture Raider took of himself bound to a chair and a blonde wig and the mask. He also took photos of himself buried up to his neck wearing the mask, which I have pictures of. Ooh. Okay, first of all, here's this um, Barbie tied to a pipe that he has a picture of. Oh. Yeah, get you some of that. Um, and then here he is wearing... It looks like pantyhose, but they say it's a mask. Oh, yeah, he buried himself most of the way Ooh, to that's get that creepy. picture. Yeah, I don't like it. It does look like pantyhose over the head, though. Yeah, and here's the blonde wig mask. I think that's a different thing. But doesn't the blonde wig and mask kind of remind you of um, the Devil's Rejects? What's that? The devil. You know what I mean? That one guy. Yeah, Rob Zombie. <sighs> is that who you're thinking of? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's well. him. That's him. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> That's creepy. That scares me. So so that fueled him for 
ever, I guess. Over the next several years, uh, BTK dropped off the map as Dennis Rader focused on work and family life. He had left ADT in the late 1980s and started working for the Wichita suburb of Park City as a compliance supervisor in 1991. I want to be a compliance supervisor. Right? What is, like, you're still a serial killer. You're a compliance supervisor? Yeah. Okay, great. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> in his new position, Raider was known to be a stickler for the rules. He measured the height of people's lawns. Do you think he had like a little ruler? He yeah. was like busting yeah. it out. He had like a little 12-inch ruler and was like, oh, yeah, 0.2 centimeters over the line. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> and chased stray animals while toting a tranquilizer gun. <sighs> okay. According, that, it's that terrifying. That is the worst sentence I've ever heard terrifying. in my life. <laughs> According to reports, Raider took pleasure in exerting his limited authority over his neighbors and other members of the community. He was also a Boy Scout troop leader and president of his church council. So very, you know, up and up. Like upstanding citizen, except like if his you were past. having a party <laughs> and you were thinking of like the people you know, like from work or around town or church, mm -hmm. and you were like a fun family. Yeah. You probably would skip inviting him. Yeah. Because he'd He's be like, loser. yeah, he'd be like, well, you're not supposed to smoke, you know, cigars this close to a, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. He would. Yeah. He, yeah. He exactly. would just ruin everything. He wouldn't even bind, torture, or kill you, but he would ruin it. He would. Yeah. He anyway. would completely ruin it. Um, with many news. <laughs> <laughs> God. Oh. With many news stories marking the 30th anniversary of the Otero murders, BTK resurfaced in 2004. Uh, Dennis Rader sent local media outlets and authorities several letters filled with items related to his crimes, including pictures, a word puzzle, and an outline for the BTK story. I love a good word puzzle. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, he also left packages with clues, including a floppy disk. Um, I read that or heard on other podcasts, whatever, that police actually, like, he was going back and forth with police. Mm -hmm. And they, like, convinced him. And he was like, if I send you this floppy disk, right. will my information... And they're like, oh, no, we totally can't track that. And he's like, okay, here you go. And they're like, oh, my gosh. Like, he was a complete idiot. That is such a, like, such an old, stupid man thing to do, exactly. right? To not have any idea, like, okay, you can't track it, right? No. Not at all. The FBI's reading your thoughts, dude. Like, get your <laughs> get your life right. The FBI get realized that I wanted to plan a trip to Disney. And <laughs> they mean. were like, here you go. Here's all these Walt Disney ads. <laughs> Facebook can do it. Guarantee the FBI's doing right? it. Right? Get me, get me off this list. Anyway. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, including a floppy disk that ultimately led authorities to his church. Mm -hmm. uh, investigators also noticed his white van. What's up? On security oh. tapes. Get you an Econoline special <laughs> of some of the package drop-off areas and cemented their case by obtaining a DNA sample from Raider's daughter. Um, I should should have checked to see if she, like, gave that freely or what the deal or was because she is not pro-dad whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, you know how some people obviously are like, oh, he made mistakes and I'm not pleased, but he's my dad. She's like, no, pass, mm -hmm. hard pass. I love her. Um Dennis Rader was arrested on February 25th, 2005, and later charged with 10 counts of first-degree murder. His neighbors and fellow church members were stunned by the news, unable to believe that the man they knew was the serial killer that had haunted the area for so long. I can kind of get, like, be like, oh, my gosh, this guy 
like this guy that was in our neighborhood in our church and led my Mm -hmm. five-year-old boy scout be like oh my gosh but Mm -hmm. then also be like he measured my lawn with a damn ruler yeah right (laughs) right okay so i think it would be super fun for us to decide who in our community community in our local area and we'll just use a first name so you know um who's the serial killer here because i totally know who it is um i don't know oh it's steve okay yeah yeah, yeah, that hoarding little cubby hole he's got back there. <laughs> yeah, he's going to bludgeon. Well, I don't know what his yeah. name would be, but he'd tie you up with an electrical cord and bludgeon You're you right. with something. Yeah, You're right. Yeah. You're 100% right. Mm-hmm. And then hang you from your toenails from the tower. Totally. Ooh. So, um, let's see, the 30th anniversary. Where's my first page? Let me find it. Uh, was it in December? I don't know exactly when it was in, but uh, March... And by by February the following year. So it took less than, it took like a year. He came out to like taunt them in 2004. So it took like a year for them to be like, build their whole case enough to like go get him. Yeah. I love that. That's not very long for uh-uh. all this stuff. Do you know uh-uh. what I mean? If he could have just kept his mouth shut, he would have been fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could have just kept on strangling and beating off and been fine. Oh, Living his gosh. life. Living out retirement like a dream come true. <laughs> um, anyway, Dennis Rader pled guilty to all of the charges on June 27, 2005. As part of his plea, he gave the horrifying details of his crimes in court, which is why we know them. Many observers noted that he described the gruesome events without any sign of remorse or emotion because he committed his crimes before the state's 1994 reinstatement of the death penalty he was sent to El Dorado Correctional Facility to serve his 10 life sentences, and he did not get the death penalty. Wow. Uh, yeah. His story inspired the Stephen King novella, A Good Marriage, which I have read, and it was pretty good. She finds um, the, the wife finds the evidence in the garage uh-huh. and, like, I th- I want to say she kills the husband when he comes home from work. Like, she yeah. figures it out, like, in the morning. It spends the whole day, like, sorting it, putting it together, and then she kills him. But I don't really remember. Um, that would be a good story, by the way. Which was published as part of the 2010 collection, Full Dark, No Stars. Blah, blah, blah. It later became a movie. In 2016, forensic psychology professor Catherine Ramsland published Confession of a Serial Killer, the untold story of Dennis Rader, the BTK killer which revealed that the notorious murderer had planned to claim an 11th victim before he was arrested. Oh. Yeah. And in October 2017, Netflix's crime drama Mindhunter was released to critical acclaim. One of the serial killer characters known as ADT Man on the show is based on Dennis Rader. And I've not watched it, so that's what I'm doing this weekend, I guess. Okay, yes. You need to watch it. It will take you literally, however, if you add up, they're like, 45-minute episodes, there's like eight of them, however long that is. Got it. That's how long it's going to take you because you're just going to go, don't, 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 like next Friday one. night, that's all me. Okay. Okay. So, and BTK. you need to tell me how you feel about it the entire time because it is. You may snap you the whole way through. You're going to love it. You're going to binge watch it, and it is great. You have to text me the entire time. Okay. And it's like, it's probably, honestly, like terrible like, it's probably a terrible show, but the fact that I'm just so intrigued by it. Yeah. And the, like, topics, it's like, uh, I love it so okay, much. Okay, good. And so they, without giving anything away, obviously, there's a character who's loosely based on him. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't think it's loosely. I think it, it they're it's portraying based on him. him. Yeah. Um, 
the casting in it is phenomenal. Really? And then, but they introduce him. I think, I don't think it's the first episode. I think it's a couple episodes in the ADT guy. Mm -hmm. And the first time I saw him, I was like, that's another serial killer. Like instantly. Ooh. And as, oh, I just, okay, I, I Googled ADT man mind hunter and clicked images. Yeah. 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 And they just show, they just show a glimpse every, oh, he's so creepy. Yeah. Every, um, like every episode, they only show like 10 seconds of that <gasps> and then it goes back to, so oh. you have like, you wouldn't know if you didn't know this case or were into true crime like hardcore, you yeah. would not know that that's who it is. But, the context clues every episode add together and you're like, it's BTK. Ooh! Dude. <laughs> Go back to the the other tab. This one. Oh, he's so scary. I know. I hate him. Why does he look I so do. angry? I don't know. Because he got caught? I guess. He's the one who wanted to get caught. He Wait, was click on that. Is one? that him? I think so, when he's yeah. younger? Yeah. Now he's attractive. Yeah, he does not look bad as a young... Here, there was a, a better one. <laughs> Title said, "What happened in BTK's or to Dennis Rader's eyebrows?" <laughs> oh, stress! Oh my gosh! Did he, he pull out? He's the half probably of them? pulling them out. <laughs> where there was a yeah, there was a, a young one where he looks. Oh, he looks he's nice. a hunk. Yeah, he looks good. Maybe that's why he's pissed. Yeah, because he does not look good. Because he his didn't old age. age well. He did not age well. <sighs> Man, <clears throat> BTK. BTK. I'm so glad you did that one. Thanks. I was stressing You did a great job. Thank you. Those big cases are stressful. Like, you don't realize that they're stressful until you're, like, halfway in and you're like, oh, my God. Because there's so many. Because it's like we do a story and it's like one murder or one family is murdered. Yeah. This is like, oh, he murdered, like, seven families or something. Yeah. And you you don't. And you feel like you're like, I don't want to take away from the victims. Yeah. I wanted to give. That was my main. If you look at my notes. You can barely tell because it's like dark blue versus black. And it was like um, oh, Dennis yeah. Raider info, and then the blue is victim info. Uh, yeah. So I was so like, oh my God, I don't know. Here, here's a picture of him and his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I don't like that. Uh-uh. I don't like the way he's holding her. <laughs> Get your hands off of her. I, I just don't even understand. I don't either. I just love that he got caught because he was a twat and couldn't keep his mouth shut. Yeah, that's yeah. all. Okay. My stomach is growling like insanely. Can you? I'm so glad you have headphones on. I can't hear it. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Okay. Good. That's it. I have a kind of long one too, so this is gonna be a nice, hey! plentiful episode. Um, side note, because I just saw him and it reminded me that I wanted to talk to you about this. Okay. Please explain to me why I spent ten minutes at my desk this morning, chat just chatting with me. Just making small talk. About what? Like where I was from, and he asked me what time I get in in the morning, what time I leave, what I want to do. When Maybe I he's grow trying up. to sell you to someone. Maybe. Uh, that's fine. Not as like trafficking. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but oh, like, shit. like, yeah, I get yeah. it. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not where I went <laughs> oh, either. God. That was so funny. But I was like, <clears throat> okay, that was. Random and kind of awkward, but sure. Okay. Hmm. <sighs> yeah, I was yeah. like, that's <laughs> I was weird. Painting, I caught me painting my nails. Oh my god! Which is like the least, my least favorite thing. Dave's caught me one time. 
I yeah. But like, I appealed, and what else was I supposed to do? When I don't have all my makeup on when I first get here, so I'll do like my eyeliner here. Yeah. Typically, it's my eyeliner. <laughs> yeah. Um, this morning I was sitting here doing it. We were there were songs playing. I had like four songs in a row. I was all set. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, it's eyeliner time. You're all set. Never fails. Dan will catch me doing it. <laughs> well, what are you doing here? And yeah. I'm just putting my eyeliner on. Well, I was, what's that for? And I was like, it's literally going to make me look more awake than I actually am and ever have been. And that's all it's for. Yeah. <laughs> Golly, just leave me to do this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Anyway. It's great. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if you'll know this. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Let me get all the snot out of my sinuses real quick here. Mm. Attractive, right? Oh, here you want to see a, a today picture of little little Steve, the five year old that let him in the house, and his mom died. Doesn't he look tormented? Yeah, like that has tormented him forever. Yeah, yeah. Little Steve turned to uh, some drugs. Little Steve looks like he would hang out at um, if you're from this this area, the hacienda on eleven. <laughs> Back in the day, like 1987. Yeah, that's what that's what Steve looks like. <sighs> Nobody gets that reference, but I do. He would be he needs to get rid of the mullet. Yep. Trim up, shave his whatever's happening on his face. Yeah, it's not and he'd be attractive. He'd be he, not like attractive, attractive, but he would be fine. Be, Why do I keep stop? He wouldn't be terrible. He'd be looking. just fine. He wouldn't be creepy looking like that. He picture. wouldn't be like, Oh, little Steve, what happened? Yeah. 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 He'd be like, Oh, little Steve. Yeah. You grew up. Not, oh, little Steve, what happened? Oh, You're my right. gosh. What did I, I broke it. Did you unplug it? Oh, maybe. Yeah, that's what I did. Because there, you fixed it. It was unplugged a little. Thank you. It's from moving it. It's okay. All right. Gotta get comfortable. <laughs> we got eight pages to read here. Gotta get comfortable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Janine Ann Jones was born on July 13th, 1950, and was immediately given up for adoption her new parents were Dick and Gladys Jones, who adopted three other children as well, two older and one younger than Janine. They lived in a two-story, four-bedroom mansion just outside of San Antonio. Uh, Dick was an entrepreneur and a professional gambler, worked in the entertainment business, operating nightclubs. He was free-spending and generous, but his lifestyle eventually took a toll on his family. Mm. Hey, and, and side note, Janine is my middle name and Jones is my last name. Patrick Janine Jones. Whoa. Uh. Whoa. Anyway. Is your name Janine spelled weird? It is spelled weird. Holy shit. Is her spelled weird? It's not started. Does it start with a J? Start with a G? G-E-N-E-N-E. Mine's G-E-N-I-N-E. Fuck. That's so crazy. You need to call your mother and be like, what did you do? Okay. What year? What, what are we, how old is she? Uh, she was born in 1950. Okay, because my mom saw the name on TV in 1981. Oh, my God! I'm texting her right now. I'm texting my birth mom right now. Oh, my gosh. Holy like, shit. I just, like, literally just got oh chills and tears in my eyes. You just told me that. I swear to God, the story was, she, because I'm named after my aunt, um, Beulah, and she didn't want to name me Beulah Patra or Patra Beulah. So, because her name's Beulah Patra. 
And so she was like, well, I used Patra. I really liked that name. And I just saw, she's like, I saw this name on TV for some reason. And when I was pregnant with you and used it, please tell me it was like 80, 81. Yeah, it was like 80 in in the early 80s. Early 80s. Early oh, 80s. I don't know shit. when like the public knew about this case. And it was totally spelled. It's spelled weird because oh. that drives me nuts that it's spelled weird. Well, now it doesn't have to drive you nuts anymore because <gasps> it's like. It's an homage to this. Crazy lady. Okay. Oh, my God. Anyway. Let's get into this. <clears throat> Let's now. do it. I'm so excited now. Okay. Um, lifestyle took a toll on his family. The nightclub went south, and there was less money to spend. He also tried a restaurant venture, but that failed, too. Uh, when Janine was 10, her father was arrested, and it seems that a large safe had turned up missing from a home, from a home owned by a man who had been at Jones's club at the time of the burglary. There was $1,500 in cash, which this was 19... 19- 50s-ish, so that's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, And some valuable jewelry inside. A priest turned it over to the police, protecting the one who had given it to him, but the police went after Dick Jones. He confessed, claimed the episode was a practical joke, and the charges were dropped. So he was just like a... Okay. This is a stand-up guy. Um, Then he opened a billboard business. Oh, my God. Me, too. And for Janine, riding around in the truck with her father while he put up billboards was the happiest time of her life. Other than that, she had a hard time getting attention. She felt left out and unfavored by her parents um, and went around calling herself the family's black sheep. Mm. Sometimes she would be pretend to be... Sometimes she would pretend to be ill in order to get people to notice, and at school, she became bossy. She was short and overweight, which added to her loneliness. Oh this is me, bossy, short, and overweight. Oh, my God. Fuck. There were acquaintances who called her aggressive and friends who said that she had betrayed them. She was known for lying and manipulating people. So Janine was closer to, your young, to her younger brother, Travis, who loved to be in their father's shop. When he was 14, he put together a pipe bomb that blew up in his face, killing him. Oh, my God. Janine was 16 at the time, and during the funeral, she screamed and fainted. She had lost her closest companion. Oh. Um, That's a bummer. Yeah. During her senior year of high school, Janine's father began to get sick. He was diagnosed with terminal cancer, refused treatment, and went home to die. He made it through Christmas of 1967, but shortly afterward, at the age of 56, just over a year after the death of Travis. He died shortly afterward. I don't know if I said died shortly afterward or just said shortly yeah. afterward. <laughs> he died just after the death of Travis. Okay. Um, so Janine was devastated, and though she hadn't finished high school, she believed the remedy to her pain and loss was to get married right away, which obviously the answer to everything. Yeah. Jump <laughs> right in there. <laughs> she and her mother fought over it, and Gladys, her mother, soon turned to the bottle, drink, getting drunk frequently and refusing to give permission for Janine to marry. Finally, when Janine graduated, she married a high school dropout, James Jimmy Harvey Delaney Jr. James Jimmy Harvey Delaney Jr. Yeah. Okay, Janine Jones is killing the game. Anyway. (laughs) Um, Author Carol Ann Davis claims that she trapped this man man into marrying her by pretending that she was pregnant. Same. Um, He, too, was overweight, and he only cared about hot rods. (laughs) Fucking same. Everybody, I just relate to everybody in the story already. God, I'm After sorry. After seven months of marriage, he enlisted in the Navy and Janine, who was reportedly, uh, what's voracious mean? Voracious. Like, that means you, like, you want a lot. Like, you okay. want a lot of food or sex or. I obviously cop. It's <laughs> all I care about. She was voracious in her desire for sex is the next line. But mm-hmm. I obviously copied that word because I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> 
Um, so she wanted a lot of sex and was immediately unfaithful. Intense and dramatic, she went after other men as if to fill the void left by her father's untimely death, and she bragged openly about it. She had affairs with married men and spread rumors that she had been sexually abused as a child. So she just wanted all the attention. Short and fat and was and gonna, getting it. Was going to do everything <laughs> she could to get that attention. Oh, shit. She depended on her mother for money, so Gladys urged her to think about getting a career. With no real plans, Janine enrolled in beauty school. Jimmy returned from the Navy, and they had a child. After four years of marriage, she left her husband while he was recovering in the hospital from a boating accident. Her divorce papers indicated that he had been violent with her, which could go either way. Uh, she was bossy <laughs> they reconciled and then parted again for good it's hard to give up those thoughts yeah <clears throat> uh, soon after Janine's older brother died of cancer it was yet another loss and her developing fear of cancer from working with hair dyes made a career change necessary so she was just like a she's, mess yeah she's anyway she had worked in a hospital beauty salon, so it wasn't a far stretch to train as a nurse. She was also pregnant again, so now she had two children to care for. Although she wanted children all of her life, she ended up leaving her children in the care of her adopted mother. Which, like, good job. Yeah. Right? Oh, my God, Janine was adopted. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. I know. It's crazy. So, Janine Jones had reserved her special ardor. What in the world is that? You know what? We're fine. <laughs> she reserved something for doctors, seeing them as mysterious and powerful. She wanted to get near them, so she trained for a year to become a licensed vocational nurse. She's good at it, although she was not altogether happy about being at the bottom of the medical totem pole. Mm-hmm. I had my inflictions wrong in that sentence. <laughs> I know what inflictions means. Thank you very much. Get it. <laughs> Her interest in medicine began to take mystical dimensions, and as acquaintances put it, she became obsessed with diagnosing people, which you don't really do as a vocational nurse, but yeah. that's fine. Cool. Uh, after only eight months at her first job at San Antonio's Methodist, Methodist Hospital, she was fired in part because she tried to make decisions in areas where she had no authority and other parts because she made rude demands on a patient who subsequently complained. <sighs> uh, it wasn't difficult for her to find another job, but she didn't last long in that one either. Eventually, she was hired in the intensive care section of the pediatric unit of Bexar County Medical Center Hospital in San Antonio, Texas. The first child she picked up had a fatal intestinal condition, and when he died shortly after surgery, she went crazy. She brought a stool into the cubicle where the body lay and sat staring at it. Other nurses couldn't understand the behavior. She hadn't even known the child and had barely been around him, so they were wondering why the excessive grief. Mm -hmm. It soon became clear to coworkers that Jones liked to feel needed and that she would spend all... No. She would often spend long hours on the ward during her 3 to 11 p.m. shift, insisting that her attention was important to, to a certain patient. She skipped classes on the proper handling of drugs and in her first year made eight separate nursing errors, including while dispensing medication. Yikes. She developed a, a dependency on sick children and would refuse specific orders because she wanted to do what was best for the child. I mean, if you're a doctor and your boss and your nurse is around, they should probably follow you. Yeah. Um, there were sufficient grounds for dismissal, including coming in one night drunk, but the head nurse liked her and protected her, giving Jones a feeling of invincibility. Mm. She didn't like to admit any mistakes, and now she had someone in power to back her up. 
She tried to bully new nurses into looking to her for help, and more than one nurse transferred out of the unit to get away from her. Dang! Yeah. Frick! As she took charge, Jones grew more arrogant, aggressive, and foul-mouthed. She liked to talk about her sexual conquests, both past and future. Not many people liked her, and she would make predictions about which baby was going to die, which obviously upset the new nurses she was training. Oh, my God! Yeah. Then, a new doctor came in and was hired as the medical director of the pediatric intensive care unit. Unit. He took more responsibility for patients than the other doctors had, so that meant edging out the nurses. He also made them more accountable, which didn't sit well with them, except for Janine Jones. I'm just going to call her Janine. Mm-hmm. I know. Whatever comes out of my mouth comes out. Yeah. All except for Janine, who welcomed the opportunity to bring more problems to someone's attention, because that meant attention for her. Mm-hmm. Her other means for getting notice was to go to outpatient clinics for minor physical complaints of her own, which is claimed that she did this 30 times in just over two years. Like, I've been to the doctor, like, once in the past two years. In the last two years? Mm -hmm. I don't even know if I've been to the doctor. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right? Like, I mean, unless I'm, like, bleeding to death. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Mm. Although she was never officially diagnosed, she may have been suffering from a form of Munchausen syndrome, which people become, quote-unquote, hospital hobos. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which I love that termination. Uh. To get attention from caring staff that they feel they missed out on as children. So it's just basically another way to get attention. Right. Even when she wasn't at some county clinic, she was complaining about her health and seeking some sort of leverage with it. Uh, In 1981, she demanded to be put in charge of the sickest patients. That placed her close to those who died where she seemed to thrive on the excitement of an emergency and even on grief when a child didn't make it. When she prepared a body, she would sing to it, and she always wanted to take the corpse to the morgue. This routine was a regular procession with a security guard walking ahead of her to close other patients' doors. So spooky. Yikes. It eventually became clear to everyone that children were dying in this unit from problems that shouldn't have been fatal. Carol Ann Davis, uh, the author I mentioned earlier, claims that there was one two-week period where seven children died. Oh, my God. Yeah. The need for resuscitation suddenly seemed constant, but only when Jones was around. Those in need of metal, those in need, no, those in the most critical condition <laughs> were all under her care. There was no denying the excitement that an emergency session, situation came about, and Jones even commented on several occasions that it was, quote, an incredible experience. Mm. One child had a seizure three days in a row, but only on her shift. Oh my gosh. Come Joan, on. Yeah. Jones said one day, quote, they're going to start thinking I'm the death nurse. Um, in fact, some of the staff on her on called her on duty hours the death shift because many of the resuscitations that were going on during that were going on were happening during the hours that she were the, she was there and the many deaths. Yikes. She even seemed to enjoy calling parents to let them know about their child's death and to commiserate. Oh, my gosh. That is, oh, my gosh. Nobody enjoys that. No. No. If a baby's health was bad, she announced to the other nurses, quote, tonight's the night. Oh, my God. I'd just be like, woman, you got to stop. Yeah. You're a fucking creep. Oh, my goodness. Um, if a child was near death, she always took a special interest. She clearly wanted to be there when it happened. While rumors were passed around that Jones was doing something to these children, the head nurse defended her. It was just gossip from nurses who were jealous of her competence, and she refused to listen. So, 
A baby named Jose Antonio Flores, only six months old, came in with some common childhood symptoms, mm-hmm. fever, vomiting, diarrhea. While in Jones's care, he developed unexplained seizures and then went into cardiac arrest. It took doctors almost an hour to save Jose, but they did. They noticed he was bleeding badly and couldn't determine the cause. They found that his blood wasn't clotting, but eventually the problem subsided and he seemed okay until the following day during the 3 to 11 shift. Mm. Once again, Jose went into seizures and began to bleed. Early the next morning, his heart stopped beating. The cause of death is unknown. Oh, my God. When a doctor told Jose's father about losing the son, he had a heart attack, which, like, oh, my my, God. Like, oh. Like, that is true love right there. I hate it so much. Um, While helping Mr. Flores to the emergency room, Jones allowed Jose's older brother to carry the baby's body. She then grabbed Jose's body and ran down the hospital corridor. Several members of the family ran after her. She lost them and went into the morgue. No one could figure out what her behavior meant, but blood testing on the body indicated an overdose of a a drug called heparin, um, an anticoagulant used to thin blood. Yeah, I've heard of that. It's a blood thinner. No one had ordered it, and her superiors became suspicious. Mm. Uh, Then two resident physicians who were treating a three-month-old boy named Albert Garza found that Jones probably gave him an overdose of heparin. When they confronted her, she got angry and left, but the child recovered. This incident also resulted in tighter control over the staff's use of heparin, making nurses more accountable and records more precise. Children whose health declined were to be subject to extra lab tests. It was at this point that Jones's health appeared to be suffering. She also refused drugs prescribed by doctors to improve her condition. Often when she complained of something, there was no evidence for it. Again, it was, she's obviously trying to get attention. Right. Uh, the new medical director, who had once been, her ally, once been her ally, began to complain formally about Jones. In November of 1981, the hospital administration, somewhat resistant to an internal investigation of the pediatrics board, had a meeting. They decided that the medical director was overreacting and the already struggling hospital did not need the negative attention. Like, come on. Oh, my God. The director's suspicions didn't end, and he continued to watch the records of the 3 to 11 shift. While heparin was carefully monitored, another drug suddenly showed up in the death of Joshua Sawyer, aged 11 months. Oh, my God. He was brought in suffering from the effects of smoke inhalation at a fire. After a fire at his home, he had, he'd had a cardiac arrest, and doctors ordered Dilantin. He remained in a coma, but doctors expected him to progress. Mm-hmm. Jones told his parents that he would be better off if he was allowed to die since he would surely have serious brain damage. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. If doctors are like, he's making, he's going to make progress, we, yeah. we see a positive aspect, and then you're like, mm, he should probably just die. Stop. I would literally punch you in the face. Right? Oh, my God. So hard. Um, and then suddenly, Joshua had two heart attacks and died. Oh. His lab test showed a toxic amount of Dilantin in his blood. When Jones became aware that those who had always supported her were now suspicious, she turned to blackmail. She said she had records on every child that had died there, and she knew which doctor had killed them. The medical director requested that she be fired, but no one listened. They also didn't listen to the nurse who kept reporting that supplies were missing. Mm. Then there's Rolando Santos, a one-month-old baby being treated for pneumonia. One-month-old? Mm-hmm. He was suddenly having seizures, cardiac arrest, and extensive unexplained bleeding. All of his troubles developed or intensified on Jones's shift. 
He began to urinate so badly that he suffered from extreme dehydration. And for the three days Jones had off, he improved. But then when she came back, he began to hemorrhage. I mean, is she an idiot? Like, seriously. God. Then he had a heart attack. Lab tests showed an excessive amount of heparin. Initially, a doctor took over his care, but after Jones got a hold of him, he worsened again and went into a coma. Blood came into his throat. His blood pressure dropped dangerously. A doctor saved him and then ordered him to be removed from the pediatric ICU and placed under 24-hour surveillance. Obviously, under these conditions, he improved enough to be released to his parents, and thankfully, he survived. Finally... One more doctor stepped forward to tell the hospital administration that Jones, the afternoon shift nurse, was killing children. Oh, hey. He had found a manual in her possessions about how to inject heparins uh, without leaving a mark. And he had evidence of how Rolando Santos had suffered during Jones's working oh, hours. Suffered. The hospital resisted, however, still not wanting bad press. So, you know what? We don't want any negative news stories out about us. Go ahead and keep killing them babies, sis. I mean, what the hell? Just quietly fire her. Right? <laughs> Do something. <laughs> don't let it continue. Um, another child was sent to the pediatrics unit to recover from open heart surgery. At first, he progressed well, but on Jones's shift, he became lethargic. His condition deteriorated, and then he died. Oh, my God. Doctors were puzzled and could only attribute his death to some infection. In view of everyone in the room where the child had died, Jones grabbed a syringe and squirted fluid over his head in the sign of a cross and then repeated it on herself. Like, what? What the hell? She then grabbed him and began to cry. Okay, who is not stopping this crazy-ass nurse? I know, seriously. Jesus. More doctors complained, and finally, a committee was formed to look into the problem. Between May and December of 1981, a span of only seven months, 20 infants died suffering from either cardiac arrest or bleeding at the Bexar County Hospital, which is now the University Hospital of San Antonio in Texas. Oh, my gosh. 20 babies? 20 babies in a span of seven seven months. months. Oh, my God. A number of investigations were conducted looking into the circumstances of the deaths and to see if there were any improvements that could be made to improve the infant mortality rate. To help with the investigations, a team interviewed a number of people on the hospital staff. No real conclusions had been reached until one nurse accused a colleague of being responsible for the deaths. The investigation team had no real evidence to back up the claims, even after three separate investigations, and decided the easiest way out was to ask the nurse accused to resign. So soon after resigning... Jones got a job at a pediatric physician's clinic in Kerrville, Texas, not too far from San Antonio. Oh, my God. All right. Petty McClellan took her blonde, blue-eyed baby daughter, Chelsea, into the new pediatric clinic. It was Friday, September 17th, 1982. The clinic had just opened the day before and wasn't far from the trailer home where Petty and her husband, Reed, live. Chelsea was eight months old, but she had a cold, and her mother wanted to be safe. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, she had been born premature with underdeveloped lungs, so she was prone to infection. Okay. Early that RSV in, stuff. Yeah. yeah. Early in her life, she had spent time on a hospital respirator. Mm. She had also experienced what Petty describes as quote-unquote spells of losing her breath. Chelsea was the clinic's very first patient. Oh, my God. Uh, in Women Who Kill, Carol Ann Davis's book, uh, and she bases much of her account on deadly medicine, wrote that pediatric nurse Janine Jones took the child to another area of the clinic to play with a ball while Dr. Kathleen Holland talked with the mother. Soon after, Jones told them that Chelsea had stopped breathing. 
She placed an oxygen mask over the baby's face, and they rushed her to an emergency room at nearby Sid Peterson Hospital. Chelsea recovered, and her parents were grateful that such a competent nurse was on staff there. Mm. So they spread the word to other parents. Yeah, this nurse saved my baby's life. Yay. You gotta gotta get her. Yeah. Nine (sighs) months later, they brought Chelsea in again. This time, the results were drastically different. Peter Elkind, a journalist who briefly met Janine Jones, says in the death shift, Chelsea was the first appointment of the day, just a routine checkup. Petty brought her in around mid-morning, and Dr. Holland ordered two standard vaccines. I believe it was for measles and mumps. Mm. Um, Shortly after uh, Jones injected the first needle, Chelsea started having trouble breathing. It appeared she was also having a seizure. Mm. So McClellan asked her to stop. The mom asked her to stop. She ignored her and gave the child a second injection. Then Chelsea stopped breathing altogether. An ambulance was called, and they transported Chelsea to Sid Peterson Hospital again, where she arrived in nine minutes with a breathing tube down her throat. Jones carried the child in her arms all the way there. God, she's crazy. Yeah. Chelsea had tried to remove the tube, so Dr. Holland replaced it with a larger one, and then they gave her something to make her sleep. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jones allegedly said, quote, and they said there wouldn't be any excitement when we came to Kerrville, end quote. She's insane. (laughs) Yeah. In fact... There's obviously plenty of excitement at that clinic, and she was always at the center of attention. Yikes. The clinic saw an increase in young children experiencing breathing difficulties. All children recovered, and while Dr. Holland was suspicious, she just kept on going. Mm. Holland arranged to transport Chelsea to a hospital where neurological tests could be performed. While she was, and while she was in the ambulance, Chelsea stopped breathing again, and her heart stopped. Jones gave her several injections while Dr. Holland performed a heart massage, but there was no response. They pulled into a nearby hospital and continued treatment, but after 20 minutes, it was clear that they had failed. Chelsea McClellan had died. Oh, my God. Jones sobbed over the body as she cleaned it up and wrapped it in a blanket for the McClellans. They returned to Sid Peterson Hospital, where Jones carried Chelsea downstairs to the hospital morgue. Dr. Holland ordered an autopsy as she couldn't just let this go as a cardiac arrest because the whole thing had been too unusual, mm-hmm. especially since Chelsea had not even come in with a complaint and there was only there for a routine exam. Oh, my God. Yeah. Come on. So the autopsy was performed and Holland waited for the results. In the meantime, the McClellans arranged the funeral for Chelsea. After a few weeks, it was determined that De- Chelsea had died of SIDS and often fatal breathing dysfunction in babies, but... New tests revealed that there were traces of succinylcholine, a drug used to relax muscles during surgery or other medical procedures. There were traces of that drug in her. Mm. Dr. Holland discovered puncture marks in the bottle of succinylcholine in the drug storage area, an area where only, guess what, she and Jones had access. Mm. Contents of the bottle later examined were found to be diluted as well. The authorities began to take notice Obviously, as many of Joan's patients were suffering from seizures and even cardiac arrest, even though none had been fatal up until that point while she was at the clinic. They looked into her past, taking note about the earlier deaths at Bexar County Hospital. With little evidence, the authorities dismissed her pending a grand jury hearing. Jones would inject a heart medication called de- oh, shoot. Dijoxin, I think is how they said it. And to use that, I had to Google it and then press the little speaker thing oh, when yeah. it comes up. I yeah. think it was digoxin. Uh, used to treat heart failure and heart rhythm problems into infants so she could gain attention and recognition as a hero when she was able to miraculously bring them back from the brink of death. Dude, was this woman just about getting attention? Mm-hmm. Like, that's insane. Yeah. 
Jones claimed she was acting in the best interest of her pa- interest of her patients and was finally charged with murder. Good. Her trial lasted through January and February of 1984, which is why I don't know if it was if this is the exact Janine that you're named after. <laughs> okay. Because it was like 1984 is when her trial was. So it could have like been discussed. First, yeah, that's like the first thing that in the story that I found that was like an indication of any type of coverage. But it obviously, Ooh. word could have gotten, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah. So uh, the trial lasted through January and February of 1984. And after a three-hour deliberation, she was found guilty and sentenced to 99 years for the murder, uh, murder of Chelsea McClellan, which I think is freaking great. Me too. I mean, quote, just a life sentence would have been better. But mm-hmm. I mean... This was just a baby. A baby. So 99 years, not just like 25 years. Like she had her entire life to live still. Right. Not just another 60 years. She had an entire life to live. Yeah. Eight months later, Jones was charged with giving heparin to Ronaldo, the one that almost died. Mm -hmm. She was found guilty and was given a concurrent sentence to 60 years of 60 years. So she was suspected in at least 10 other homicides. And but she was spared further prosecution when Bexar County Hospital administrators shredded 9,000 pounds of pharmaceutical records in March of 1984, destroying numerous pieces of evidence under the subpoena uh, under the subpoena by the local grand jury. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> As of May 2016, she was being held at Lane Mur- at the Lane Murray unit of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. She had been scheduled for mandatory release in 2018. Due to a Texas law at the time of her sentencing meant to prevent over prison overcrowding. Oh, my God. To avoid this, Jones was indicted on May 25th of 2017 for the murder of 11-month-old Joshua Sawyer. In June of 2018, News 4 San Antonio reported that Jones was expected to have a complete psychological evaluation within the next couple of weeks for mm. competency and sanity. Um, I could not find... Any updates after June of 2018, whether or not she had that psych eval done, whether mm-hmm. or not she was staying, paroled, whatever. I don't think she's out. Right. Because they're, I mean, I feel like they would have said something about that, but mm-hmm. there was nothing else after that. Jesus. Um, Janine Jones was portrayed by Susan, Ru- is it Rutan? The actress? Susan Rutan? 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 R-U-T-A-N? R-U-T-T-A-N. I don't know. Sure, Rutan. We'll go with that. Okay. In the television movie Deadly Medicine, made in 1991, and by Alicia Bartia in the straight-to-video movie Mass Murder in 2002. She's also featured in a Discovery Channel documentary, Lethal Injection, and was said to have inspired Annie Wilkes from Stephen King's Misery. When you said Stephen King earlier, Mm, I was like, It's a Stephen King episode. Uh, Authorities estimate that Jones was responsible for as many as 46 deaths. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was named after a baby killer. So that's the, what's it called? Angel of Death? Is that, yeah. I think that's what it's called. Angel of Death. Um, Janine Jones. Frick. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Uh, it's sad. That is a sad one. Babies dying is sad. I don't like the babies. Uh-uh. Yeah. Dang. That was a good one. I liked it. She was like one of the first <clears throat> ones on my list of things to do. Yeah? Yeah. She's not my fate. Not I didn't even know about. I mean, I knew about like the whole angel of death mm-hmm. scenarios, but I didn't know anything about them. So I didn't have like a. But yeah, it's so sad. It is sad. I hate it. I hate that. Yeah. 
Exactly. All right. Dang. So, there's that. Another episode. This is episode 13. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. Man, we talk a lot. We do talk a lot. <laughs> Can you believe we've been doing this for over two months? No. It doesn't seem like we have. No. It seems like I every said time that we out- do it, it's like the third time. Yeah. I said that out loud and it really didn't seem like that long. <laughs> but like it does looking back on it. It's like, oh my gosh, we've done this for that long. Like yeah. we've done 13 episodes. What? But then I'm like, oh, we've only done it for over two months. That doesn't sound like very long. <laughs> it's fine. 13 episodes is a lot. It is. We like to give. So we're very giving of our episodes, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Dude. Oh, my gosh. I can't. I don't like that woman. I don't like any of these people. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah, because they're murderers. Oh, yeah. Allegedly right. or Allegedly. something. I don't know. Not usually. Not usually. We usually just are like, hey, this murderer. This guy. Hmm. Or woman. Or child. All right. Well, I am going to um, print out a picture of Dennis Rader's face and hide it all around your cubicle oh, for Jesus. the next week. Yes. <laughs> Watch you like hide it in a place that I'm not going to get into for like six months. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, shit. 